What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, August 9th, 2022, and this week's episode, Hill Brings the Hammer in Vegas. We'll be talking about this past Saturday's event, the light heavyweight bout between Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill. We'll talk about some of the highlights from the card, and we'll get into the announcements. Madison Square Garden looks like it's going to be having a very, very dynamic main event. And of course, we'll be talking about this coming Saturday's event. The UFC returns to San Diego for Dominic Cruz against Chito Vera. And we'll have all of the action in between. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Happy to talk to you. How you doing, man? I am doing good. I am getting ready to go for San Diego tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to it. What about you? Oh, just hanging out. I discovered a new energy drink called Celsius. Gives you that extra boost, essential energy, and uh, let's see. Let's are see you, how much energy you, I have right now. <laughs> are you trying to get a sponsored Zamudio? Is that yeah, what it I'm is? Yeah, I'm trying to get a sponsored Celsius. Hey, guys, Jonah Hill loves it. I love it, too. Celsius, <laughs> live fit. It uh, accelerates metabolism. Can't go wrong with that. You know what? I I, I, I got to say, for an ad read, not that bad. On the fly, <laughs> I, I can respect that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let's have Celsius power this next segment. UFC Vegas 59 on Saturday. Uh, like I said, light heavyweight bout between Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill. Um, you know, Natalie, I think the easiest way to summarize this one, Jamal did a fantastic job taking the wind out of the sails early from Tiago. And I think that that was one that um, people maybe thought, okay, you know, first five minutes, Santos is at his most dangerous, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And Jamal did a good job, shot selection, picked his spots, maintained his range, all those correct things that you knew he had to do if he was going to be the one delivering damage against a powerhouse like Tiago. Um, to his credit, I loved the resilience from Santos. Um, it didn't look good for him early. He started to rally back. He made Hill kind of respect that power and pretty much just willed himself back into the fight. But then... Hill one-upped him, he showed his own grit, he got after it, he stood in there. There were a couple exchanges that I thought were just a bad idea for Hill. Credit to him, he hung with Santos, he was the one landing, he was the one not getting touched. And, you know, that's all she wrote in the fourth round, he finally connects on the clean one. Uh, Tiago was already tired, and Hill very emphatically... I know he wasn't the happiest with the performance, but I think when you consider the veteran gamesmanship of Santos, that was a very solid win for a guy who had not really been in the fourth round, who was definitely taking a huge leap in competition. It was just a great victory. It was definitely a good win for Jamal Hill. You know, Tiago Santos hasn't been the same since that war with John Jones where he, you know, had both his knees basically shredded to bits. He's one in five since then with the only win against Johnny Walker. So, okay, you know, you, you weren't going in a against the Tiago Santos at the, at the prime of his game, but this is still a very dangerous man. Let's not forget the, the crazy things he's done in the cage and the reason why he's the, the scary, the hammer, right? It's just, 
you know, the consistency of being able to put together that threat is dwindling. So he can still be dangerous. There can still be moments where his opponent should, you know, consider himself lucky for being able to walk away from a, a, a punch or a kick. But Thiago Santos isn't stringing all that danger together close enough to, to really hurt his opponent and, and, and get a win. So it was a good win for Jamal Hill against a big name like Thiago Santos. But I, I have to be honest with you, and I know we're going to get to this fight next, but I was still so pumped up from the Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque fight. The boxing in that fight blew me away that, you know, when it came to Santos and Hill, I was just like, ah, it's just not as good, not as cool. So I just, I kind of, mm, I wasn't as uh, as there for it. Um, you know, whatever, it is what it is. But it, it just, I was still reeling from Jeff Neal being so good on his feet. In any case, good win for Jamal Hill. You know, he called out Jan Blahovitz, which isn't that shocking. Um, I don't think he's ready for Jan. I think he's close, but not ready. Dominic Cruz... Another Dominic fighter. Reyes. I'm sorry, Dominic Reyes. Yeah, another <laughs> fighter who hasn't been the same since his loss to John Jones. I don't know where he is right now as far as availability, but I think he's ranked seventh or something like that. I like that better than Jan. Uh, I think Jamal Hill could use another big opponent before he gets into the tippy top tier of uh, of that division. What about you? So my thing about it is that. It's hard for me to argue with the way that Jamal's been performing. That being said, the division is a bit of a... It has not been this much of a cluster um, pretty much in years. Mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I can't even remember the last time we had this kind of issue at light heavyweight. But when you look at Jiri, and I know there's this whole thing going on right now. Jan Blahovic is pushing for it. Jiri said he accepts the Glover rematch. And I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, like, does, does Glover accept the rematch, first of all? But um, no, uh, look, my point of that being is that I don't know how these cards are going to play out. I don't think that Jiri has actually signed paperwork. I think that he's just talking a lot of, to a lot of people and... You know, who he will actually face has yet to actually even be penciled in. So I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. How that pertains to Hill, I don't mind the Blahovich fight. I would actually think that that... I feel like Ankalaev is less likely to, for example, take a fight. Because he knows that he doesn't have the name value and he's not the most rousing talker. Uh, I'll use the word marketable, even though that's unfair. But, you know, when we talk about that marketability, who has that blend of name value, performance value, um, promotional on the mic value? Uh, Ankalaev is a great, solid contender. He's certainly elite. I think that he has a chance to take out any of those big three, Glover, Jiri, Jan. That being said... Selling him at the top of a pay-per-view for 75 bucks, he it's very clear the, uh, the other side would have to carry the workload. And we know how the UFC feels about that. That being said, you know, I like Hill for calling out Blahovich. Uh -huh. I think it's more than likely he's going to wait. For example, if they do make Jan versus Jiri, which I think you and I agree, that should be the move. Where is Glover Tashira? 
Because I think then that's someone that, okay, former champion, just coming off the belt loss, just coming off the fight of the year. That's a good one. Because I think that a win like that for Glover, that easily sells rematches with Jan or Jiri. If you're Jamal, that moves you up. You don't burn another contender on the way up in Magomed. So I think that that's more my decision. If he has to wait and whatever happens, none of the big three, big four are on the table, then I could also see him taking on the Uzdemir uh, Nikita Krylov winner. Hmm. I think that that's just... I know that might feel like a step back, but I think that when you have all these guys waiting to dance, that might just be your best bet if you're trying to really make a statement. Because I will say, Jamal is not leaping to a title shot ready yet. I agree with you. A lot of... Put it this way, like, the whole bus has to break down before he gets a title shot. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, I do. Anyway, but look, that was a great win. Yeah, once again, with Santos, I I said it. It's not like he's been fighting scrubs. I mean, Glover went on to win the title. And Goliath could very well go on to win the title. Um, These aren't, like, nobodies who he's been losing decisions to, mind you. Right, right. It's not like he's been getting you know, run over out there. But look, you made a great point. The knees, that that's tough for any athlete, let alone a combat sports athlete. He's 38. He's been at it a minute. Um, you know, it, it's not, like I said, it's a lot of different factors. It's not just age. It's not just injuries. It's not just the competition. I attribute a lot of those little things to why he's not been quite as successful in recent years, so... Uh, let's get to that fight. Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque. Um, I did not know Jeff Neal could make it look that smooth. Yeah. He's been good. We know he's powerful. We know he's well-rounded. Fought big names, had some losses, got some good wins. But man, if he didn't look like he wasn't ready for all the smoke on a Saturday, just uh, wire-to-wire stayed ahead of Luque. And... It was not as easy as he made it look. I thought that he really shocked Luque, similar to Hill and Santos. And the second he got, you know, out ahead of him, he did a fantastic job of staying there. He really made it very hard for Luque to rally himself back into the fight. And that finishing sequence... Look, we've had some good knockouts and some good subs this year. That one will not get the nod. But it really should. That was just vicious, nasty, all those fun adjectives we like to use when we talk about what we want to see in a finish. It was just, Jeff Neal, I see you. Yeah, I, that's exactly. I, I see you. Yeah, <laughs> that's a beautiful way to, to, to finish it because it's it exactly opened my eyes. I thought... Oh boy, you are something special. I even told my husband, I said, I know I've seen Jeff Neal fights before. I have, obviously, but nothing stuck in my mind like this fight against Vicente Luque. It was just the most beautiful MMA boxing. So smooth, so confident, so comfortable. Head movement. The, I mean, it was perfect. I was so blown away, so I don't want to add to it because I see you too, Jeff. That's a perfect way to finish off that um breakdown that that was just that's it that nails it now respectfully he is in a tough spot because welterweight is a bit of a log jam 
He has that loss to Wonderboy. He has lost to Neil Magny. He has beaten Bilal Muhammad. You know, he has been in this game a minute. And he's also fought Kevin Holland pre-UFC. So, I, for my money, oh man. I, I don't, here's the thing. If I'm Bilal Muhammad or Sean Brady, I'm waiting for the title. I could see him fighting uh, maybe Gilbert Burns. I think that would be a good one. But um, yeah, because Gilbert, I don't believe, is back on the board yet. I know he's kind of holding out for Masvidal. I don't know where they're at with that. I, I get the feeling that Masvidal is not doing anything until whatever happens behind the scenes with the Colby Covington think, court case. Yeah, the yeah. UFC probably wants it that way too. Yeah, but it, it's just... Uh, if I'm Jeff Neal, and I think he mentioned it, Gilbert Burns feels like a good pick for him. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I agree with you. I like that. I like that choice too. I don't see any issue with it. I mean, it's a real legitimate challenge. Not that Luke wasn't, um, and Burns is is looking for a win too. So, just based on how Jeff Neal performed, you know, it'll be a, a crazy fight. But then you think about the ground advantage that Gilbert Burns has, and it's like, okay, is Jeff Neal ready for that next level? Well, there's only one way to find out, right? You got to get thrown into the fire. But if he could book that, especially late 2022, I mean, you're talking about a big 2023 where he could line himself up for the end of the year, depending on what they're doing, where everybody's at. So if I'm him, I try to capitalize on this and try to get back in there one more time this year because you want to put yourself in a position where you could wait at a good time for you. So yeah, that would be my recommendation. Um, there was some great finishes. Uh, the Brian Battle head kick knockout. I didn't write that one down, but if you saw the highlights, you know that one was good. They do this... Okay, I'm not going to lie. I find it ironic, and they haven't done it recently because Ultimate Fighter's been away. But they used to do this thing like... The only one I know that does it is like American Idol. And I think the voice were like... At the latest season finale... They always have the previous season's winner come mm-hmm. to perform. And I know it's supposed to be like, a, oh, we're checking in. They're having the, you know, the passing of the torch kind of deal. With MMA, it feels weird to do that for Ultimate Fighter. But they almost always try. I know they've done it multiple times. But they'll have like the previous season's winner fight on the undercard of the finale. And it's like, okay, you know. So Brian Battle came back. Um, obviously, he had a great performance. Mohamed Usman knocking out Zach. Oh, that was okay. Not as nasty because it was only one punch. Yeah. But he made it count. Uh, a lot of people. He fought. He won at heavyweight. Most people are predicting he moves to light heavyweight. Um, How? Look, and hey, that's his business, not mine. Um, I believe I want to say he might be the older brother to Kamaru. I can't remember if he's older or younger than Kamaru, but uh, look, I mean, I know that's already a lofty. I, I mean, it's Kamaru Usman, so I feel like that's almost unfair to put that kind of pressure to live up to that on him. Yeah, but certainly he looked good. If he keeps fighting like that. I, it doesn't matter how good it, you know, what the numbers look like. I think he'll be, he's a great addition. 
And then my girl, Juliana Miller, let me tell you something. What you see is what you get. And that girl is just a fighter. I know she likes to bring her social media game. I know she likes to say a lot when she's on the mic at those media days and the scrums at the apex. Let me tell you something. When it comes time to fight, that girl is a fighter. And I think you guys saw that on uh, her finish of uh, Broken Walker. Just looked great had a bit of attitude gave her the attitude back um it was just a very fun fight and congratulations my friend you got it yeah it was it was a, a a good fight a good way to introduce yourself to the bigger ufc stage with the attitude with the you know the the pressure and you know a good performance plus plus um good performance in the cage right and then good performance on the mic that that's the 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 double whammy you, you always hope for um I have one just back to Muhammad Usman because as I was watching that fight, I just kept marveling at his physique. I mean, have you? Se- I can't recall someone looking, you know, maybe Paulo Costa, right? Like someone who looks like they're straight out of a video game. He just looks solid. Muhammad. I mean, but beyond, come on! And then when he won, and he's celebrating and he's flexing. Holy moly, that guy is scary, man! And and the funniest thing to me is, you know, I have two older siblings, two older sisters we're basically same size, same shape, you know, the few differences here and there. These two dudes, the fact that they're <laughs> brothers is hilarious to me because they just don't even look like they're from the same gene pool, right? Like, did like, Kamaru not get fed? Why is he any bigger? I know, or did, did Muhammad steal his food when nobody was looking? I mean, because, gosh almighty, but it, it's just it's just something, a marvel to behold, and, you know, God bless him, because that physique is, is amazing, and if I were standing against him in the cage, even at the heavyweight level, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I don't want to eat one of those punches. And, right. and the one that he used to finish, Pagua, I can't pronounce his name correctly. Yeah. Oh, God. It didn't even look like it was thrown with that much heat, man. It's just, it's just one of those things where you have technique and you have enough power in your hands. He's a scary dude. I, I really can't wait to see who he fights next. I mean, I think it's... Uh, I gotta say, like, I think it's because he's stockier. I think that he did bulk up for the show. Like, he knew okay. he wasn't going to have to cut weight. So, I think he doesn't necessarily like to carry all that muscle for the cardio aspect of it. But okay. um, he is a shorter, stockier guy. Even, I, I don't think he'll be, like, the biggest light heavyweight. You know what I mean? So you're saying so, he did one of those things where, you know, you bulk up for whatever tough weight class you can get into and then... Yeah, well, because he, he said he's a... Like I said, he's going to have to cut weight for light heavyweight, but he's not like Johnny Walker or even like, I'd say, like a Jamal Hill. Or yeah. even, I think... I'd have to check. He might be shorter than Thiago Santos, you know what I mean? Anthony he's Smith, short. guys like that? Yeah. Yeah. But... But here's the thing, because he carries around a lot of weight, like Duran Wynn, like he's not that tall, but he just carries a lot on his frame. That's why he can't make 170, even though he's a small 85er. I think it's a bit of the same thing for Muhammad. Just Muhammad, he's just clearly, he hit that weight room and it worked out for him. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, like an ox, dude. Like an ox. Man, he was ready. (laughs) Anyway, uh, look, good stuff. At Vegas 59, uh, 10 out of 10 finishes for all of the fights on the card. Only the fifth time... Hold on, I wrote that stat down. Only the... Oh, maybe I didn't. Anyway, first event in eight years to have a 100% finish rate. Um, I believe there's only been about... Oh, 
10 times in UFC history have all the fights on the card ended by some sort of finish. So it's been a good time for the UFC. You'll remember the Austin card. It wasn't a 100% finish rate, but they did have um, 10, no, what was it? Eight? Eight knockouts. And that, that was the record for most knockouts on a card. So Saturday, not as many knockouts, but submissions too. So all in all it is to say that the UFC, the guys have been performing very well this year on smaller cards. So it's been, you're getting a lot for your time and investment for the fight nights as opposed yeah. to the pay-per-views. I know. What about you? I mean, when you hear that, it's like that says to me, like, hey, it was worth it to watch it start to finish. You know what? My first my first thought after you finished your your sentence there is like, I wish they would we could get that guarantee at a pay-per-view when we're shelling out the big bucks, you know. But yeah, is it good to get something like this on a fight night? It's awesome, of course, because we're MMA fans and UFC fans. And so we're watching every card. And sometimes you're just thinking, oh, boy. Let's move it along. But when you get something like this, it's really cool. And to break a record is really cool, too. Let's uh, let's see that at the pay-per-views, please. Yeah. Some of them you get it, of course, but some of them you don't, and it's just... Ugh. Fair enough, fair enough. I think it's tough when the prelims get lit on a pay-per-view and then the main card that you paid for gets... Exactly. That, yeah. That's when it could feel like, oh, come on, what happened? You guys are doing so good. I know. There's that, like, you know, young gun energy that, that gets you some really cool stuff at the beginning of a pay-per-view. And then when you get to the real thing, there's a lot on the line, right? <laughs> you taper off, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's fair. Well, look, two guys who are expected to deliver. UFC 281, November 12th. The fight is set for the middleweight title, Israel Adesanya. Looking to rematch Alex Pereira. So I don't need to tell you what's going on without Asanya. Uh, 23 and 1. Five official defenses of the middleweight title. Pereira, 6 and 1 in MMA. He's coming off the knockout of Sean Strickland, but everyone knows he is the one going in. He has a decision victory over Adesanya, and then a year later, he got that very viral knockout. Now, I do feel like it's a caveat. Adesanya brought it up and I've seen it shared. It just doesn't get as many views because it's not as digestible of a clip to watch it for eight minutes or so. Adesanya was winning that kickboxing rematch. He was actually, if you watch it back, you don't have to be a, you know, a connoisseur of kickboxing and Muay Thai to see that Adesanya was leading the dance. He gets caught out of position, and by now I think everyone knows what you're getting with that left hand of Pereira. Um, gets him on the button, and it is what it is. You've seen that clip for sure. But the fact is now, mixed martial arts, small gloves. I think it's fair to say that Adesanya, even from... He's always been a confident guy. He is hitting a stride that is very rare for any champion. And for Alex Pereira, you're talking about stylistically and in his own confidence, very, very well equipped to provide Adesanya problems that we just haven't seen him be presented with, even though he's taken on elite competition like Marvin Vittori, Robert Whittaker, etc. What are your thoughts on the fight? This is a thrilling fight, and it's a great matchup because of the history, because of what Pereira just did to Sean Strickland. 
you know, Adesanya's fight with um, Jared Cannonier, eh, not the most exciting, but we've seen him be amazing in there. And so why wasn't he amazing against Cannonier? Was he worried about, you know, that big knockout power? Because if if that was the case, then I, I think about Pereira and what's that going to mean for Adesanya's performance? You don't want to lose to him again, especially not in your territory. You know, you, you made your name here in the UFC. You're the guy. You're the champion. You know, Pereira's just crossing over into your world. And you want to make sure that you let everyone know who's top dog, right? So there's a lot on the line for Adesanya here, more so than Pereira. If Pereira loses, it's like, okay, well, you lost to the champ and you only have, you know, three fights in the UFC. Okay, you know, that makes sense. Try again. So all that is to say, I'm super pumped for this fight. But if I'm Adesanya, I would start to pull back on this narrative of, which is, it's it's true, right? I was He was winning that fight in glory. But that's pretty much the case in every MMA fight. You're winning until you're not, until you get knocked out. And so it's just like that information is almost pointless to me because it's all about what you're going to do you know, at UFC 281. And you can, you can put on the best show if you're Adesanya. But if Pereira catches you with that wicked left hook, it's over, right? So I'm going to be sitting at the edge of my seat here when this fight comes around. I'm glad the UFC did it. They put it together. They almost didn't have a choice. Uh, it, it sort of matched itself, made match made itself, if you will. Um, so, yeah, they're giving the people what they want, and they're giving the fighters what they want. This is a win-win here. Now, on that note that I really like is that the card is expected to be bolstered um, by... A very intriguing lightweight fight, Dustin Poirier against Michael Chandler. Um, nothing is signed for an official date, but all signs are pointing toward November. I'm not going to lie, I really thought they were going to add him to that September card with Hamzad and Nate. I think most fans might feel like that would be the better option, but I digress. Um, look, uh, we know Poirier is coming off the loss to Charles Oliveira. Chandler's coming off the knockout of Tony Ferguson that got him back in the win column. And I linked the clip. Most of you guys have probably seen it. At UFC 276 last month, there's like this whole little... I'm going to call it a kerfuffle because no one got hit. No one got bruised. <laughs> they just kind of jawed at each other. Per Michael Chandler, Chan Poirier was the one who started talking first. Chandler kind of stood his ground and barked back. And you had the two dogs separated by the fence that nothing ever happened. Um, per Chandler, Poirier was the one who initiated all that. He said, I did not do nothing. He just decided he wanted to say something to me and he didn't like no. me. What are your thoughts on this one? Because that is obviously a pretty... Uh, that That's not a small fight. That's actually a pretty good one. This is a big fight, man. And it makes me nervous because... You don't want to see either guy lose. You know, obviously Chandler just came off the win against Tony Ferguson, but Tony Ferguson looked great in that fight, and it was almost a Hail Mary front kick that, that won Chandler the fight. And, you know, Poirier has been circling the top for so long and just not getting the wins to, to be able to cement his legacy. Um, if Thinking about why it's November, which is what your first point, why it's a MSG November 12th, date my guess would be Chandler wanted time like he's just been killing it in the UFC as far as being a company man and saying yes to everything and putting on show after show after show after show 
So he probably wanted a little bit of a break, enjoy his summer and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, be done before Christmas so he can enjoy that too. But about the actual fight, I like that they're beefing a little bit. It's gonna be a war. And this one, man, like, <laughs> this one's gonna be something special. It really is. It just, it just makes me nervous because it's just, you know, when two fighters that you like come together and only one can win, of course, oh, the pressure, man, the pressure is, uh, is serious here. So excited, of course, but nervous too. What I like about this one is that uh, it it's just pushes both guys. I like the fact that none of them are like, look, you know, we're we're waiting for this, we're waiting for that, Connor, uh, Charles, Islam. No, 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 no. We're just, look, who's up? Let's get it on. I, I, I like it in that way. It does feel like this is kind of it for Poirier and he even yeah. mentioned it himself like if you lose to Charles it's like hey you know like does this feel like the last time to win the lightweight title he could still reinvent himself at 170 but look the fact is he's been on a roll it's kind of hard to replicate being more successful at this stage of the game right and then you have Michael Chandler um, when we talked to him in London, you know, he's like, dude, I just, you know, it's really awesome that I got to come through with what I said. And some of the fights have gone my way. Some of them haven't, but they've been, it's been the proverbial good time, not a long time that he promised. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that in that way, it does feel so important, like you said, for the two of them. Stylistically, it's great. I think they're going to bang. They can grapple. I don't want them to. I think it's a great test on the feet. Chandler probably the more effective using getting it to the ground it's not that Poirier can't grapple but you tell me who uh, each both of them go for 10 takedowns who's going to complete more I'd say Chandler mm -hmm. um more technical striker probably give that to Poirier um x-factor Poirier is not a bad grappler off of his back he's good at jiu-jitsu um cardio you feel like that might lean toward Poirier Knockout power, probably more to Chandler early. It, there's just so much to like about it. And you have a little bit of bad blood. I mean, say less, right? Yeah. I know I just said a lot, but you get what I mean. I get you, man. I feel, yeah. it, there's like a, it's just an exciting matchup. And there's a lot of words to say a little bit, if that makes any sense. <laughs> if I'm Michael Chandler, I bring my own hot sauce. <laughs> oh, I say I just take it to him that way. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be real. You just could get like a fake sticker, put it on Tabasco and just Buy roll with sriracha it. Buy some sriracha and put your face. <laughs> I'm telling you, that would be the most oh, yeah. hilarious. I know it seems like juvenile. I kind of like that comedy. I think that you could, you're sleeping on it if you don't think that would make oh some good scenes. That's funny, dude. And just go all in on it saying, hey, this is the real sauce and just, ooh, you know. <laughs> telling you it'd be great great television <laughs> um moving on to our next news story bellator returns to long beach on october 1st so by now you've seen it it features both pitbull and aj mckee but not against each other patricio pitbull will be taking on adam boric to defend the 145 title while aj mckee will be finally moving up to lightweight and he'll be taking on ufc veteran spike carlisle so I think the biggest question, Natalie, what do you think about the fact that they are? This is more AJ McKee's backyard than Inglewood, LA at the Forum. 
for Patricio Pitbull to say, I will fight probably about 10 or 15 minutes from AJ McKee's house. What do you think that that says about this whole thing? I mean, it's good motivation for AJ McKee. It's a smart move by Bellator. They have the ability to make these very clever, meaningful lineups because, you know, they're top heavy, right? They're bigger names or few and far between. And, and so they can really play chess with them. And so that's what they're doing here. It's going to mean that in every interview, when they do the media scrum and all that stuff, there's going to be questions about Pitbull and McKee, and they're probably going to be jawing at each other. Like, it's just going to create good um, content for the actual fights they're going to have and for a potential future fight, which, you know, is, is, has got to be in the works, right? At least on the long, the long game plan, uh, looking down the line there. So it's smart. It's probably, I don't think it pisses off McKee. He probably will say something like, "No, it's good. You know, let him see how how big of a deal I am here, and let him realize that you know this is my 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 home." Blah blah blah. So I like it, and uh, we'll see what AJ McKee can do at 155. That's the other cool thing is we get to see him debut uh, spike carlisle that's a good that's a good matchup i think it'll be a, a good opportunity for aj to ease into 155 and showcase you know what he can do there yeah i i think that that's really one of the things about that is that aj mckee if i'm not mistaken he has one more fight after this one he is not getting the lightweight title unless he signs a new deal with bellator Right. So I think that at this stage of the game, and, and it became this awkward thing, and I, I just want to address that it just, I feel like it was partially Bellator trying to negotiate. I can't help but feel like the the bag has been fumbled because we came out of that amazing performance to win the featherweight title for AJ, and yet everyone knows he's moving up to 55 but then everyone's talking about, oh, do you want to fight Brian? Do you want to fight Alex? Do you want to fight Max? And it's like, why are, is no one trying to talk about Charles, Islam, Poirier, Chandler, Tony? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it feels like there's no heat because it's like, oh, well, he's moving up to 55. And it's like, so we just wasted our time talking about all these 45ers every interview with him. Like, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? And so I feel like... We know what he was trying to do. He kind of... Look, he didn't make it to the finish line. He lost the rematch with Pitbull. Okay. I do feel like this is a very important one now. AJ comes in. You're not going to get the Kayla Harrison deal. You're not going to get that, hey, let me throw the gauntlet down and get thrown the bag of money. I think that's going to be tough uh, after the loss. That being said, he can make himself look really good. He's a young guy. Chapter 2 of his career, possibly in UFC, could be really awesome. I feel like that's what he wants at this stage. We've got to wait and see what happens in the next probably about 7 months or so. Spike Carlisle, tough veteran, another SoCal guy. By the way, very underrated walkouts. They weren't aired on UFC, but he really wasn't allowed to show his creativity. I promise you, the Bellator broadcast is going to be popping. Spike brings it. I've seen it. Um, I think he's a great style matchup. I think that they essentially brought him in to sell the last 10% of SoCal tickets that AJ McKee can in Long Beach somehow. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. 
Pitbull and Boric is Pitbull and Boric. Like you said, they're going to jaw at each other. This is great for Pitbull. This is just more... I mean, you're kind of just lapping the field now. Like, okay, you beat all the vets. You're now beating the young guns. And then if you're Adam, this is your chance to kind of change the entire narrative. And usher in a new era at 45. He definitely can. Young guy. Very good prospect. Similar record to AJ. But just now you got to deliver. Because now you have a guy who has proven just how good he is in Pitbull. Still has that fire. The Pitbull is still young and biting people. He's not just sitting (laughs) taking a nap in the back, you know, with his bone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is where we're at. So yeah, good stuff all around. But if I'm Pitbull, I was... I'm probably like, just put me back. Hey, if I were him, put me back at Mohegan Sun for crying out loud. Why are you going <laughs> to put me through this again? Just, I don't know. I also don't see Pitbull fighting AJ at 55. Honestly. It, no matter how much they talk, they're just going to be like, well, uh, um, it's just not going to happen yeah. unless AJ resigns. And I feel like they're just not going to do it. So then again, that's just me. So we'll find out. No, I mean, I, I don't think he'll re-sign either, but then that's a tough blow for Bellator, you know, to lose. It, it's hard. You see what Michael Chandler's doing at the UFC, admittedly taking less money to be able to be on the biggest stage. And if you're AJ McKee with the record, the career that he's had at Bellator, you know, more a better career, a better record than Chandler had, um, you're just you're just chomping at the bit to see what you can do on the uh, in the cage and on the mic at UFC. Right. So, yeah, I think he'll be willing to take less money, too, if that's what it comes down to. And uh, then what? You know, Bellator is not going to have too much left there. Um, But it it is what it is. On that note, because we're a little ahead on time, I think that this speaks to Bellator. Because um, people have asked this question. I know it's been a talking point. If someone asked you, Natalie... Right here, top of your head, the first answer that pops in when I ask you this. Which is the number two promotion in MMA, PFL or Bellator? Bellator. Uh, I would argue, historically, I think if you ask me today, there's more to look forward to in PFL than Bellator. I think that accessibility on ESPN and ESPN Plus is huge. I think that even though this season has really been another, um, let's just say the show's not been good from yeah. a uh, promotion standpoint. Under- underwhelming for sure. Yes. I still think that you have consistently looked forward to Kayla Harrison, Ray Cooper, Clay Collard, um, you know, Shoeface, Bruno Capeloza, Henan Ferreira. I feel like you've consistently... You kind of like that, okay, they're going to run it three weeks. They're going to run it again three weeks later for the regular season. I feel like outside of the matchups or outside of the logistics with the tournament, the only knock on PFL is the pacing. And, you know, we're not going to get into that. Uh Bellator, no such problems on the broadcast when it's on. But I feel like they've just lost the spark. And not just 
the fights are okay. Stuff is still happening. They still got some talented guys up and down the roster. You know, the Bantamweight division has a lot of great guys. You still got talent, you know, in the higher weight classes. Still got some great fighters, Musasi, Cyborg. You got all those things. I think that it feels so lather, rinse, repeat, and it feels so inconsistent that it's actually counterproductive when you have a big card. I'll give you a little one. Has Bellator, and not that, I'll say this, I want to acknowledge PFL does the same thing. But for a company that has been running now as long as it has for Bellator, do they ever care to come up with an original poster when it's a big fight? No, they're not. Do- Look, first of all, I'll say UFC could do more original poster postering, if you will. Yep. But but they do, you know, and it's they as try. simple as mixing up the colors, adding some bright green, some neon, like just different art styles, right? They should still do more because think of how rich the art world is. Just look on Instagram. I mean, you could just get anybody to come and do something cool for you. Now, yes, to your question, Bellator, it's literally just the same pictures of whoever they have with Bellator and the date. It's it's like a, you know, a book report um, when yes. your teacher tells you it has to be Times Roman, font size 12, you know, and that's what they're doing. My problem. I could do a better poster on PowerPoint. I'm, I'm not kidding. You still use PowerPoint? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> okay, okay. Actually, I know it's so funny because yes, I do. But it's um, it's the even it's the weird version that comes with Mac. So it's called Keynote. It's even worse. <laughs> yes, it is. I I gave up on Keynote a long time ago. Thankfully, yeah. I didn't have to use it, you know, in college. But had I been there in high school with Keynote, oh, this would have been oh, bad. Anyway, back to my point though. I think that, okay, let's say this. Let's say Bellator has some great fights, like, coming up. Mm-hmm. At this point in the schedule, they've been so inconsistent and lost so much of the fan base. I feel like even if it's a good fight, people are just still going to overlook it. Because they're like, oh, well, you know. And look, uh, once again, when you're competing with UFC for those views... You're asking for fans two nights out of the week to commit to MMA, not just one. Yeah. And that is so difficult. I'm sorry. It's just you're asking now the hardcore of hardcores give up Friday night and then you're going to do this again Saturday for UFC. It's just very, very difficult. Or you're running head to head with UFC, which they're doing again. And I'm like, Oh, man, it's just very, very difficult. I don't know another way to say it. So, yeah, I mean, they're getting smoked because because UFC completely, completely monopolized the um, the, the market. marketplace. Yeah. And so there's almost no Saturday without a UFC fight. And if there isn't a Saturday with a UFC fight, there's not going to be a Bellator fight on Saturday. It's still going to be on a Friday, right, for the most part. Although I think, what did you say? One's coming up in, on Saturday. I think the McKee card. Oh, the okay, McKee yeah. is so, a so, Saturday. So, so there, you know, there have been times where they've gone head to head, and usually it's because Bellator has the stronger card. It was like I think a Fedor fight. I can't remember what it was. Where, where like UFC ended up pulling their own card because everyone was excited to see Fedor or I don't know who. That's super rare. Bellator, I think we talked about this before, they have to just really go into a conference room and 
sit there or you know go on a retreat or something the powers that be and try to figure out new creative ways to build up the brand and it's as simple as i love your point about the poster like that's such a simple fix do that make a cool t-shirt i swear to god t-shirts people love t-shirts make some cool stickers like get the brand back out there you have good fighters now you obviously have to work on getting you know more talent bigger names building up your own fighters like that has limited potential right like limited payoff and so when they when scott coker first came into bellator and they were doing these people were saying carnival fights you know with um kimbo and uh uh Dada 5000 and garcy uh, uh, not garcy gracie oh my god i'm embarrassing yeah. like it, it did its job though it got the eyeballs in and then people stuck around and they kept sticking around machida musasi like rory mcdonald like they've been doing a good job with these bigger names but now who's there that's the big names aren't really delivering anymore machida unfortunately isn't doing so well yeah. cyborgs at the end of her contract you know they have to get creative in the marketing world, and I, I don't. It doesn't seem like they're they're thinking about that. That's that's the problem. It doesn't seem like they're looking at it from a fresh perspective, and that's that's worrisome. I think that this back at end of the year is going to be very critical. Um, do they get people and McKee back out there one more time? Uh, where what do they do with? Uh, are we going to see the end of the? the resolution to the light heavyweight stuff. Uh, can they get everyone out there the way they need to for the Bantamweight Grand Prix and finish that? You know, I, I think that those are going to be the questions that Bellator answers. Because if they don't, I will say the one thing that helps them on PFL end is that PFL does feel like a rerun this season. Mm-hmm. Kayla's going to do Kayla things. And if anything, you know, their stars are not in the playoffs. Nope. And it almost feels counterproductive again. Let's say you stack the card, Kayla, Ray, Clay, Collard, and then, okay, so those are the big fights you want to sell, but then the championship fights are going to be before then. So like Cooper and Clay Collard fight after the finals. It's like, that's just, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Now look, obviously... And I've heard this and someone pointed out, having the stars fight earlier in the night, if you're not a main event, if you're not getting main event points, pay-per-view points, it really doesn't matter. And what it does for PFL, you make more money in the arena because fans are there earlier spending more money. Now, maybe that helps more the venue than PFL, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. There's still a lot of more t-shirts you could sell. Anyway, all that aside, that's where they're at. I think that they... Bellator needs to get, like you said, with the brand. And also, honestly, you need to get people talking about it as a set. Not just, oh, this, like, a big press conference. Get get out there, get Ariel Hawani talking, get ESPN back on the train. And just like, hey, we got the Bantamweight Grand Prix. We've got the light heavyweights. We have the girls, you know, Liz Carmouche, Juliana Velasquez, all that. Put it together and it could be really good. But by itself, this is getting a little difficult. You know what I mean? Yep, I so do. So that's where we're at. Anyway, I, however, we do have more UFC to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> of course we do. Because <laughs> of course, exactly. But no, this is still a good fight. Come on. Um, 
very, very intriguing clash of personalities as much as it's a clash of styles. Dominic Cruz, Marlon Chito Vera, San Diego. So for fans who don't know, Dominic Cruz, for pretty much as long as you've known about Dominic Cruz, has lived and trained in San Diego at Alliance. Chito Vera trains out of Ruka with uh, Luke Rockhold, Bisping, Mackenzie Dern, um, Orange County, which, if you are unfamiliar with the geography of California, is very close to San Diego, and plenty of people drive to San Diego from Orange County frequently. So it's pretty much the SoCal guys looking to fill up the arena at home. Um, yes, the undercard took some hits. Alexa Grasso, Viviani Araujo is off. Aspen Ladd against Sarah McMahon is off. But all of it's pretty much funneling into the main event. You have probably one of the most prolific speakers on the mic in Dominic Cruz. I'm not even talking about commentary either. I'm talking about just his interviews. Against Chito Vera, who... If I didn't know any better, I would say he was talking like he was getting ready to work on my car. <laughs> but dang, I mean, he's just got that just like, you know, like he does. It, he said it himself. He doesn't give an F. Mm-hmm. Like people take people don't, you know, people take it the wrong way when I say just because I don't give a you know what. And he talks like that, like, bro, I don't care about this guy, that guy. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to fight. I'm going to win. I'm going to, you know, he's so chill. Like, hey, man, you need a new, you know, starter. Uh, You need another, um, you know, you need to check the engine light. You need to change your tires. You need, you know, spark plugs, your catalytic converter. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say something that I knew wasn't part of a car and I stopped (laughs) myself, okay? But anyway, the fact is, like, you know, he's just got that very. Look, he talks about everything. Like, if you're asking him, what do you want for lunch? I don't care, man. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? And you know what I'm saying if you listen to Cheeto. And then you compare that with Dominic Cruz when he talks. It's just very entertaining. Stylistically, you have a great fight. You have everything Dominic Cruz can do. Movement, movement, movement. Stick and move. Get on the bike. Fantastic cardio. Back in a five-rounder. And then for Cheeto, very much slower, more plodding. But shot selection, power very underrated grappler he can hang on the mat with anybody all of that put together makes for a very very interesting fight and really this is this is not a lock either way this is going to be a very competitive one if you ask me what about you oh boy i'm i'm really fired up for this one you know i was rewatching the um the latest fights that these two gentlemen had you know ufc is always nice to put these on youtube for us you know, Cheeto Vera just making mincemeat out of Rob Font's face. It was just bleeding from everywhere. There were big lumps on his forehead. You know, knocking him down over and over again with, uh, I think it was first a knee, then a roundhouse kick, then a wheel kick. I mean, he was just putting it on him. But but Rob Font didn't quit. And even though he was really, you know, had taken a lot of damage to the face, he was in it till the end and, and able to hurt Cheeto had he gotten the opportunity. Dominic Cruz was calling that fight. 
which is also pretty interesting considering you know who's that they're fighting on Saturday. But Cruz was was pointing out that you know Cheeto Vera doesn't usually move a lot, and it's true he's sort of a fixed he's sort of in a fixed state a lot of times because he's looking at you, he's picking his shots, and he's ready to go in for the uh, you know. I wouldn't say going for the kill. Uh, I'm stopping myself because of, of how that fight with Rob Font went down, right? So he's looking for the shots to land punishing shots that are going to hurt you. But he had a lot of opportunities to to finish Rob Font. And he waits till the end of the round to deliver a bomb. And then he goes and does whatever he can the last 10 seconds. And, and, and that was it. So he wasn't actually able to finish Rob Font, even though he hurt him badly many times throughout the five-round fight. You know, Dominic Cruz is a man that is hard to get to be finished. He, he, he prides himself on having a good chin. That's why he was so pissed off when, when uh, the Henry Cejudo fight was called off early, right? So we're having a collision here of someone in Dominic Cruz who has that exceptional footwork, that awkward, unorthodox, exceptional footwork, where he's constantly moving around, doing things that any coach would tell you not to do, like putting your feet together um, while you throw punches. Uh, keeping your arms straight and sort of swinging them out like uh, like lassos. That's how he throws the most of his punches. That's Dominic Cruz, but it works for him, and he's the only one in the whole wide world that fights like that. And this is a guy who does not quit, has a tough chin, is extremely intelligent, has already studied Cheeto Vera for commentary and probably studied him you know, 100 times more for this fight. And then you have someone like Cheeto Vera who's tough as heck. Who has that East LA swagger that you're that you're that you're talking about? Um, when I think about Marlon Cheeto Vera beating up Rob Font, I mean he was so focused on him. It was almost like Mike Myers, you know, of um, Halloween, Jason Voorhees from Friday the Thirteenth. Like, there's this like really creepy stalking forward moving movement that he does. That's not gonna work on Dominic Cruz. Dominic Cruz isn't gonna be there. So. I'm not really sure yet how this fight's going to shake out, but it's going to be two tough Hispanic dudes in their, essentially, you know, their hometown, and they're going to put on a war. So I'm very, very fired up, like I said at the start. I want to know what, what, what you more you have to say about this, because uh, it's, it's going to be a heck of a fight. Uh, I just realized something. Is this the first time two UFC commentators have ever fought each other? Um, does Vera do commentary in Spanish? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, him, him, Brenda Moreno, and Santiago Ponzinibbio. Oh my God, that's such a cool. <laughs> How did I not know that? It's such a cool commentary. Do they do that for? A lot of every... them. Yeah. Are they in the? They uh... kind of rotate. Like Michael Bisping and DC don't do every single one. Yeah, yeah, obviously. yeah. Wow, I had no idea. How embarrassing! Do they are they actually in the arenas, or are they calling it from a from a satellite? I think station? when they're at Apex, they're at arena. When there are other stuff, sometimes it might be satellite. I'd have uh, to double you're, check. You're probably right. I don't think because I feel like DC. I don't need. I don't count a like for example Anthony Smith as a commentator, but those are uh, the only other guys like in the same weight class who commentate. And even then, DC's heavyweight now, not 205. Yeah. Verdum used to do Spanish, I think, right? But I don't think he ever fought. Never fought DC. DC. Yeah, you might be right. Paul That's... Felder never fought another commentator. Nope. This is interesting. That is fun. Because you think about this, they've had to dissect each other's fights. 
dude, I mm. didn't know that. So yeah, of course, Varys had to do it for, for Cruz too. That's so funny, dude. Wow. Okay. Just got more interesting. Isn't it? But no, I, okay. I, I was just, my mind was thinking, hey, wait a minute. Um, look, I think that could be a bit of bragging rights. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie. Um, you, you broke it down actually pretty well with the style matchup. I think that um, that that's the thing about Cheeto. He doesn't need to land as much as these other guys. He proved that against Font. Um, I think the thing that... Uh, the Jose Aldo fight was so interesting. I think that was really the biggest test of Cheeto in terms of his abilities not just his physical attributes because that was one where he really had to be on his p's and q's against aldo and look he he came on a little stronger but jose aldo had already put the work in the the, dominic cruz is obviously a completely different kettle of fish but i think that that also we've seen a lot from chito his ability to really get the job done it isn't always the prettiest he's not this amazing flow looks like you're watching an instructional video but getting into a fight and winning it that is where he really excels sometimes it's just about his selection and his ability to get fist to face when he really needs it um like we saw against font that's a big one for dominic cruz when he gets going he will sit down on his shots and really put the combinations together but i think the biggest test for him is can he hold this up at this stage of his career? He's looked great. He's had a whole renaissance. All of that credit, he deserves it and then some. This is a guy who's been at this since he was early 20s. Yeah. Injured both knees, injured his shoulder, layoffs, layoffs, layoffs. This is, this starts to feel like the last hurrah of Dominic Cruz, right? Yeah. Similar to, you know, Tiago Santos. It feels like eventually you're going to start running into consistent guys and you just don't have that gear you need to get the job done. I think that that's the big test because I, when I look at his wrestling, when I look at his movement, the best Dominic Cruz has all the abilities to give the most problems to the best Cheeto. If he starts to taper off a little bit, that's where Cheeto's physicality and all that could really run away with this, right? And so I think that that's the biggest test. Another factor, I know people are talking about title shots and all that. The fact is the Bantamweight division is not going in that direction. I think more than likely the winner of Aldo and Marab probably sells it. Sean O'Malley, if he starches Peter Yan in two months... I don't know how you don't give that kid a title shot. That So that means there's still going to be one more at least for the Cruz Cheetah winner. And mm-hmm. that's where it's going to be very intriguing in my opinion. So I think that, that that is a factor. The fact that this is the long haul. I think that favors Cheeto. I think that's going to be the real test of how much is still in the tank for Cruz at this level. But look, either way, it's going to be a good one. It's very intriguing. I'm going to get to predictions because we're at that time. I'm going to say Dominic Cruz, just because I think stylistically he's still putting it together in a way that I think is still going to be too much for Cheeto in particular. The movement, the wrestling, the volume. I think that Cruz is going to be able to do what he needs to. Cheeto could 
land some extra shots, do the damage, and it gets the win. But I just feel like Dominic Cruz is going to put it all together on Saturday. What about you? Oh, I'm so um, conflicted on this one, but I like Cruz for this fight because Vera Cheeto Vera just just wasn't going in for the kill against Rob, and it was right there for the taking. And Dominic Cruz has as much, if not more, heart than Font, especially on a high-stakes fight like this in San Diego. I think Cruz is going to be able to use his footwork like he does. He's going to slow down, right? At the If we go to five rounds, he'll slow down. I mean, he was already slowing down at, at, by round three against Pedro Munoz. So he will slow down, but he's going to move around just enough. And Vera's going to hurt him, but Vera's not going to be able to finish him. And so I think Dominic Cruz will do enough with his with his wacky, ever-effective style to outpoint Cheeto Vera and, and get the win. And it's going to be a sweet, sweet victory for him in San Diego. And there by we decision, have. By decision, yeah. Well, then there we have it. We're going to have to see how this all plays out then. It's going to be a competitive fight. I'm ready. And can you believe it? Okay, Natalie, I want to actually take a second. Next week might be the most loaded night we're going to have all year. So look at this. It might be... It, I went to London, as you guys know, and even they were like, "I we got screwed out of a lot. <laughs> so first off, it's pay-per-view, triple header, the rematch, um, Kamaru Usman against the United Kingdom's Leon Edwards. Mm-hmm. And then you have Costa, Rockhold, you have Aldo, Marab. Great. That, that's a solid three out of five on the main card. Okay. There's more fights, but obviously that's the centerpiece of the pay-per-view. Then you have, in the UK, in London, Brendan Loughnane, Chris Wade, Kayla Harrison, PFL. You have Mike Perry, Michael Venom Page, in BKFC, and then mm-hmm. not for nothing, you have England's Anthony Joshua taking on Alexander Usyk in boxing in the middle of the wow. night. Oh, uh, wowzers! Can you imagine uh, being the UK sports website on that night? The pubs are gonna be popping, <laughs> dude. They're just gonna be going like twenty-four hours straight. Yeah. They're going to run out of bangers and mash. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, like, I I just don't know how to dissect that. Like, if I'm a UK fan, I'm like, this just isn't fair. Like, I want it all and I can't have it. Why would yeah, they do it's this? Almost like, it's super juicy, but then it's almost like, oh, that's too much. Like, I can't, I can't keep it going for, for that long, but. You know, I would say just get comfy, get get a, uh, and get the DVR ready. Get the you know whatever y'all people use now to record their content, or get your streaming uh, updated, and you know just be ready to watch as much as you can in real time, and then prepare yourself for the next day to catch up over. Uh, what do they call their breakfast? The English breakfast. They have like beans and tomatoes. <laughs> I did not experience it, but dude, all all I know is there's going to be a lot of diehards just calling the night off. Like, bro, (laughs) we're just watching TV tonight. I don't know another way to tell you. Um, I don't... I have to see. I'm not sure. I know that UFC will run in the middle of the night. So I think that the way it plays out, for example... 
in the West, in the United States, Pacific Times specifically, I believe it should go, um, the Joshua fight will run, no, the PFL should run before the Joshua fight, then it's USC in the evening. Okay. And then, uh, well, if you're in the UK, I feel like PFL and BKFC will run concurrently, then Joshua, but then by their time, the UFC will go. So it's very... All I know is it's going to be tough, and I hope everyone's in conversation with each other when to start their show, because you know fans deserve to watch it all, so... But it's going to be a very loaded Saturday. I don't know how they're going to do it. (laughs) But yeah. Anyway, how we cover all that? You guys are just going to have to find out. Thank you for listening. Remember, like, comment, and subscribe. We'll be back next week.